Hi, everyone. Welcome again to another episode of Women Be Heard. I'm sorry, I said that my own title wrong. <laughs> Be Heard, Women, Empowering Women. And today, um, I have a very good friend of mine, Joseph Beltry, who I met, uh, I don't know if it's 20 years ago, but it's a long time, when I moved to Florida. And uh, Josette has a very interesting story, and she is a certified mentor, grief, and transition coach. She's an interfaith um, ordained minister. She has received a Master of Science degree in grief counseling, which I think is awesome. And she founded a nonprofit called A New Step, New Start, which is dedicated to providing the life skill programs and coaching to develop the mind, body, and spirit. So with that, I am going to have Josette jump in here and tell us a little bit about herself. Hi, Josette. How are you, Marie? First, I want to thank you for this opportunity. Uh, yes, we have been friends for a very long time. Um, how I got into this particular phase in my life was because of all of the grief that I had experienced. Mm -hmm. uh, the first experience was when I was 26. My first husband died um, 11 days and I was raising a four-year-old and a six-year-old successfully. And when I remarried 12 years later and moved to Florida, John, who you've never met, um, he suddenly had a uh, surgery and he ended up having complications and he died. So in 2009 is when I started coaching. And the reason I started coaching is because when I worked at JP Morgan, they asked me to be part of that talent acquisition, which was people losing their job. So I kept hearing this, I'm losing this, I'm losing that. You know, I, I feel bad about that. I don't know what to do with that. So I just said, you know what, there has to be something that I can put together to make this life purposeful for me. And this is how I came up with this idea of being a transition coach. I went back to school to be a grief counselor because, you know, sorrow has been for everyone. Yes. You know, death is going to touch everyone. Yes, it is. And, and, and nobody's ever taught anybody how to know how to. Survive. Yeah. Um, just that you married really young, right? Yeah, I got, yes. Very young. How old were you? Well, I met my first husband when I was 17. We got engaged when I was nine, 18. We got married when I was 19. That's I had young. my first child when I was 20. Yeah, that's young. Very young. Yeah. And then yeah. to be a widow at 26. Yes. My, um, my one daughter, who is a psychologist herself, she unfortunately, her first husband uh, made her a young widow and left her with two children, um, four and five at the time, I believe. So I know how devastating that must have been for you because I witnessed yeah, it. It was. Yeah. It was. Yeah. So, and then you remarried and you became a widow again, like you just said, told us, right? And right. you started this um, next step, next start, you know, new start. When did you start that? What year would you say? It started in 2009 okay. uh, when, because after, after my second husband passed in 2005, I said, there has to be something, you know, something I need to do. Mm -hmm. 
this experience, right? right? I right. can't just let this experience yeah. go. Um, and I believe that that was the time when mm-hmm. I sat down and said, I am going to start a, a, not a nonprofit. I started an LLC first. Mm-hmm. And that was called Next Step, New Start. Because yes. I wanted people to know that, you know, they can start again. Mm-hmm. When did you write your first book? Oh, my Lord. That I'm one. not sure. I have um, care for the caregiver. So let me see. A self-care guide for you, the caregiver. I got book. The caregiver book? Yeah. Yeah. That's well, that wasn't my first book. That no. wasn't my first book. That started when I was volunteering at hospice. Mm-hmm. And that was in, oh my Lord, it's been a while. Uh, maybe funny. it was like 2000 and shortly after when my, when my husband died, but I don't quite remember. So I don't want to put a you date would, on it. But it might be like, yeah. it might be about seven years ago. Do you remember what caused you to write the book? Yes, I did. Uh, because I saw how individuals who were suffering and not knowing what to do yeah. when individuals were dying, right? And then I volunteered for the area agency for the aging, which mm-hmm. was powerful skills for caregivers. That's how I started, you know, involving myself with the caregiving because mm-hmm. that is such I, it is such a hard place to be, and mm-hmm. I that you know you've experienced that yourself and are experiencing yes but um, yeah there's there's no you know we live day by day and that's the only thing that I tell everyone you've got to live day by day you've got to take the bull by the horns and say this is the day mm-hmm. God gave me it's the first day of the rest of my life I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow oh you don't and it's um you know I wrote my first book after the pandemic, because I've had cancer and I have autoimmune disease, I have a bunch of stuff. And um, so 2020, we didn't leave the house. We were one of those people. And because of that, I was a caregiver with my husband, who was, I knew going into stage three, because I knew what the symptoms were and that it's getting worse. And I started being really, um, I could see I was being nasty to him. I was nasty and I've been diagnosed with chronic depression. So I said to myself, Marie, this is depression. I, you know, just that I had this self-awareness is amazing. Right? <laughs> but I sought help and my therapist on Zoom said, Marie, every day around four, when it's really the worst time of the day, it seems for you, go in your room and just write something. And that's how the book got written, a chapter a day, an hour a day. And um, in it, I did write about um, the childhood that was horrible, the first two marriages that were horrible, and I called it Raised by Wolves, Trapped by Demons. The wolves were my parents. Yes, yes. The men were the demons. And of course, it's about a lack of coping skills and making all the wrong choices. Yes. But then, you know, what, what gets me sometimes is that for 40 years, I had that awful type of struggle. And Jerry, my third husband, I'm 34 years, you know, I always say it means it was them, not me. (laughs) But then to lose him slowly to Parkinson's disease is so tough. Yes. To finally be happy and in a good spot. And then, oh, you know, 
So that's grief right there. I am grieving that, like you said. Yes, yes. And and grief needs to be heard. Yes. So the more we talk about what we're feeling and not suppress it, mm -hmm. the more we will feel normal, right? Yes. And it did, um, in fact, my minister had told me the one day, uh, and you know Taylor, he said, Marie, it seems like the worse Jerry gets, the more you are coming alive. <laughs> I said, because Taylor, I sought other avenues so that my identity would not just be a caretaker. Correct. Does that strike a chord with you? Yes, it does. And that's what we, we um, encourage caregivers or caretakers to be, is find something that you can do so you're not at the end of the life. Listen, we're all going to die, right? We just don't know when. And so we have to have an identity of some sort without depending or co-depending on a husband or a parent or a child. I mean, it's just, um, it's the wise thing to do. And you have a lot to grieve because you had the loss of a childhood. Yes, I do. And, you know, when you read some of the excerpts from your book, it's like, oh, my Lord, you're lucky she's standing right now. But Everybody you know, says that. Too. Exactly. <laughs> you know what Steve Jobs always said? Connect the dots. You can't connect the dots unless you look back. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And, and so I, looking back, we always find a way of saying, okay, look at um, look at where I am now and look at where you are now after everything that you've gone through and still going through. Yes. And and the interesting part is when you're looking back at that journey and you, you don't believe you deserve the things that happened to you at the time and everything, the pattern and all that. And then you look at today and you, you say, oh. I kind of see something here now. And I wanted to be a teacher my whole life. When I was a child, I wanted to be a teacher. And my parents blocked that. They wanted me to be a worker for them, bring money into the house and that kind of thing. And because of making a lot of the wrong choices, that did not happen until 28 years old, I went back to college. I went to college for the first time when I was 28, dropping my kids off at daycare first no child support. And um, so then I ended up years later, after getting a bachelor's degree, being a teacher for disabled people with uh, MS and TBIs and teaching them how to live alone. Now that's teaching. So that's what I'm getting at. It's like, oh, you were a teacher. You are, you became a teacher, just not an English teacher. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that had to be a calling. Exactly. Yes. Yes. That's yes. That had to be a calling. And yeah. then um, when I got sober 32 years ago, uh, I had the perfect type of personality to be a sponsor. <laughs> and because of the teacher in me, I would give these girls homework to do yeah. written <laughs> homework. And I would have a class and I, had, I would have eight girls that I was sponsoring at my house once a week. Guess what? I was a teacher. Right. And right. I continue every avenue that I find myself on has to do with teaching. Yes. When you, so, yes. yes, like you said, it's a calling. Yes. Yes. We're either teaching or we're learning one or the other. <laughs> yes. And if you can teach what you learn, that's even better. <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. true. Right. That's but, true. Um, yeah, one thing you said, uh, well, you talk about the unique 
footprint in life that we make. And uh, again, when people are in, I'll call it the mud and the muck of overcoming obstacles, especially when we're younger, because that's usually when we're making our mistakes, um, they don't see that. They don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. You know, they just feel like they're always going to be grinding and fighting. And you encourage others to look for a rainbow after every storm and yes. turn that I can't to I can. Yes. Expound on that because I know what I think, but you tell me what yes. yeah. you think. Um, well, first, I don't start with my story because I think one of the things people want to hear is themselves talk and they know the answer. It's not that they don't know the answer. It's just that, you know, when they, when they look at life as, well, you know, life is happening to me and I wonder what's going to happen next. They're living in the future. So I find pointing this out to them with compassion, because mm -hmm. if we don't show people compassion initially when we're talking to them, yes. they're going to think it's all about just giving them instructions. Yes. I mm -hmm. want them to come up with the idea. So the transition is, listen, I can't promise you that you know, meeting with me is going to change. You're not going to have any changes in life. That's that's not life. You can't change their life. No. Exactly. How you transition into those changes, I can help you with. So what I start off by saying to them, you need to be in the present moment. You've okay. got to look at your triggers. What's triggering you? Because yeah. it's not about what's out there. Yes. It's about what's in here. Yeah. And they are time travelers. Yeah, that's what they're doing. I love that time travelers. You're absolutely right. Yeah, I stole that from my therapist, but she'll tell me sometimes <laughs> you're time traveling. Yeah, but my, yeah. my husband, God bless him. He, he does that. He's a time traveler. He's a warrior. Yeah. And yeah. Um, with Parkinson's, of course, you know, with the mental part of this uh, decrease decline, um, they lose some executive function of their brain. They get confused, etc. And he's struggling with that. And um, what I have to practice is picking my battles because some things are not worth arguing with him about because he's not gonna get it, no matter how I put it, you know? But um, I tell him that, honey, that might not even happen. You know, my famous saying is, a plane can fall out of the sky tomorrow and kill us. And I laugh, it's not funny, but it's my dark humor. It right. seems like every night on the news, there's a plane. Oh, yeah, I know. I know. I mean, usually I know. those little ones. I know. I, I, always, I limit the news. Yeah, but I always say to have C. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and it just falls yeah. into somebody's house or whatever. I go, see? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I do have a sense of humor, thank God. And I think that's what got me through a lot. Yes, yes. I've yes. always had that. I, I might have got that from my father, but um, he was an alcoholic. Uh, yeah. And that can help. You need your tools. Like, that's why I bring up sense of humor. Well, but, you know, you have that intuition. Uh, and, you know, you know when you are making a right choice or a wrong choice. You know that. You know that when your thoughts are thinking in the wrong direction, whether it's in the past or in the future, your body has a language. It's telling you something. But we choose to ignore it, right? And it's yes. like the, the, the wise spirit inside of us is telling us, don't do this, don't say that, don't go there, don't do that. Yeah. But we ignore it. And then what happens, we do. 
And then all of a sudden it gets louder. And now we go, see, I told you this is what's going to happen. But in the meantime, if we're not mindfully aware that we're entering life with a closed mind, a heart that's filled with regret, and a body that we're not paying attention to, then what is what is our choice? Exactly. Exactly. I thought of two things when you were saying that. <clears throat> the night before I married my first husband, who I did love him and everything that you would think was a good basis. We had the same religion. Um, we came from the same neighborhood, all that. But I remember the night before taking a bath and thinking, well, if it doesn't work out, I can get a divorce. Because <laughs> I was marrying him to get away from these wolves that I was living with. Okay. Mm -hmm. So there you go. I knew. Right. I knew. Right. And it only took me a year and a half to have everything come to fruition, exactly what would happen. Right. And I would leave. And um, through my life, that has happened many times, many times. And I had turned, I never thought I would because my father was an alcoholic and I did not want to drink. Mm -hmm. And at some point in my life, I did get introduced to alcohol. And not knowing that I had these other things going on with the depression and the anxiety, I self-medicated. Right, right. And if you self-medicate, that kind of numbs those uh, warnings too. Do you know what I mean? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And, and you know, sometimes we are not even aware that we are looking for outside help instead of knowing that we have something inside that if we only turn to and offer ourselves some self-compassion and love, yeah. then that is something that we could start with. At least yeah. we have a foundation. But if people are not are looking at themselves and they're looking at themselves in such a derogatory way with such distaste, then what's gonna happen is they're gonna feel that sense of disappointment in themselves and yeah, mm -hmm. they'll have to turn to something to deaden that pain. Yes, yes. Because and the task of mourning is yeah. first identifying the death, you know, and with you through divorce, divorce is a death. And, and you know, you've a, a lot of grief in your life when you think about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Yes, and it, yes, and it is. It was, um, I was grief stricken, but I was um, very resilient. And I faced it with, um, you know, what I had to do, you know, the courage and strength of what I had to do. But then I had to, I did use things to self-medicate or I would never have survived at the time. I mean, really. Um, but then it came to, and I was functional. That That's hard when someone's a functional alcoholic, it yeah. is hard. Yeah, because yeah. you do not think you have a problem because you are going to college and you are raising kids. Yeah, you're paying the bills. Right. But um, what I want to get at to is like a young woman today. God bless us. We have so much more awareness of these things that we are talking about. Right. And when we were young, we did not. They did not really look at things the way we look at them now, which is good. I remember going to a doctor and I was 20 something. I wasn't even married yet. I, no, I was married, of course. I hadn't had children yet. That's right. Hadn't had children. And it was um, in the 70s, early 70s, so party time. And I worked in a bar. Mm -hmm. And I remember going to the doctor for something. And I said, You know, I, I work in a bar. And I think I'm drinking too much because I'm starting to gain weight. You know what he told me? He said, 
switch to something you don't like. <laughs> he said, what kind of alcohol do you not like? I said, I don't like gin. I don't like scotch. He said, well, drink scotch. <laughs> what the hell, right? So I, I acquired a taste of scotch. <laughs> right, 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 right. And I think a doctor, I don't think a doctor would say that to you today. I know. He'd say, maybe you should stop drinking. <laughs> right, exactly. Just stop drinking. That awful always tickles me that he said that. I'm like, oh, my heavens. So um, women today, though, a lot of young women, they still lack self-confidence. And they still go to a man for their self-worth. And unfortunately, they get into abusive relationships. And I talked to everybody I knew, every woman I knew for sure. And so many young women, like waitresses that I've talked in that, they're in an abusive relationship. And that few minutes that I'm in their company, I say to them, honey, you're beautiful, you're smart, you have a job, go, leave. Don't stay in that. You're too good. But I see it every day. You know, for, for me, what I do is I tell people, close your eyes and say two words, I am. Mm. Whatever comes to your mind, that's who you truly are. So most of them say, mm. well, I am kind, I am caring, I am honest, I am the this is their values. Yeah. So, you know, in in acts, we have choices. We can either go to the emotion of I'm not worth it, mm-hmm. this man is going to make me feel more worth, or I could go to my values and say, I am valuable. I am accountable. I am responsible. I am loving. I am kind. I am deserving. Mm -hmm. These are the values that we can always rely on and turn to. But that takes choice. Yes. Yes. And that's where I think they need to learn. Well, I've said this many times to other women. Until I learned to love myself, I could not love anyone else. Right. And uh, the one chapter in my book, which is pretty bad, pretty horrific. And I remember in there, I said, um, I just could not take this man back anymore. No matter how much I loved him, how much he said he loved me, if I keep taking him back, I'm not loving myself. I'm not showing myself respect. And that was a big turning point. I had, I was still drinking, but somehow that common sense of knowing who I was rose to the top. Right. Yeah. I I think at that point you had unconscious boundaries and he crossed that unconscious boundary, right? (laughs) Where this is no longer acceptable and here's the consequences. And I think boundaries are a lot of things that people don't do. You know, here's the boundary where everything goes. Here's a boundary where we have to negotiate. Yeah. Right. And this is non-negotiable. But once you put out that non-negotiable, you have to have those consequences and you have to play into them. And you had the courage and the fortitude and the respect, like you said, those were your values that he crossed. Yes. And it was just. You should be proud of yourself. Yeah, I am proud of myself and I am, I wouldn't have the life I have today if I didn't do that, you know, Correct. so, Correct. Um, and even though anytime you make a big change like that in your life, it's scary, of course. you know, but if you don't walk through the fear, you know, you don't get to where you're supposed to be in life. And um, so I'm glad I walked through that fear 
And so you talk about too, um, when things are changing to remain calm, listen and watch. What do you mean by that? Well, the first thing that we have to do is look at something through the eyes of love, okay? So when we are looking through the eyes of love and through the eyes of faith and through the eyes of hope, we're not seeing beyond here. This is, this is when things go awry and if you get a diagnosis, if God forbid somebody dies, if you're a caretaker, we've got to look at it like this, okay? What am I looking at? I'm looking at it through the lens of me. Can't We can't do that. We have to look at it broadly. What is really going on here? So to remain calm is we go into our breath. I teach individuals strategies of breathing. I teach individuals on heart math. Go into your heart. You know, calm yourself down. Self-regulation, emotional intelligence is self-awareness. You got to know that you're going crazy because this happened. Self regulation, you got to put yourself back into state, right? And sometimes when people have panic attacks, they just get slapped and they go back into, okay, I'm okay, right? Self-motivation, empathy. So you take the calm and you calm yourself down. And then you look at it, not through the eyes of emotion, not through the eyes of this is bad, this is good. There is no bad or good. It is what it is. Yeah. We're in a situation because we're in a situation. Yes. And it's so heartbreaking for me because I um, easily make friends from acquaintances. They become friends. And I became known as a problem solver. Okay. Which is not a bad thing, except when right. I don't know the word no, which right. no is a complete sentence. And I forget that a lot. So mm -hmm. I actually, in my therapy, am working on that you know, giving so much of myself that there's nothing left, you know, and that's something a caregiver too has to be careful of, right? Um, in our community, we're an over 55 community, Josette, you're going to speak here next month, which is awesome. Um, there are so many women that are taking care of their husbands, you know, and they are stressed beyond belief. I want to thank you, Marie, for this opportunity, and I want to give your audience an opportunity to contact me if they're going through transition. Uh, I will allow them the opportunity to give their sorrow, their grief, their loss a voice. I will share with them strategies that they will be able to move forward through the changes, and I will help them heal and think. I can when they're thinking I can. So again, thank you for the opportunity. And I can be reached at Josette, J-O-S-C-T-T-E, at nextstepnewstart.com.